0: Right, what is up and welcome back. Today we're going to talk about why the lazy guy is richer than you are and I know it's a frustrating title but I promise you'll learn a lot in this episode so let's dive in. Okay so recently we here at KNJ launched a new business and it took us at KNJ four years to get to 250 grand a month in revenue. With this new company it took us four weeks and we are growing very fast. So What can we be, what can we learn here? Well, there's a lot of of backing and, and backstory and context to that. But the short answer is we did it the lazy way. And I'm going to explain all through how you can leverage your laziness to get monster results and outsized outcomes. So let's jump in. Now, Bill Gates said, I forget when he said this, but he said, you, I will choose a lazy person to do a hard job any day because a lazy person will find an easy way to do it. Bill Gates. So what he was referring to was when he's hiring engineers and they are lazy, right? They want, they want to take a shortcut. They want the easy way to get things done. And it's a little bit counterintuitive as an entrepreneur because you're inclined to, and you've probably gotten results to show for it, working hard, working long hours, diligence, commitment, and just pure grit. But the truth is a lot of that can be self-sabotaging. What an engineer does is he designs a logical solution, usually with software that negates the need for the human involvement, right? It hops, skips and jumps over all of that blood, sweat and tears that you've been putting in. Now I have friends who work 80 hour weeks and their companies took longer to grow to the point where we got our new company today. So how did we do it? Well, the short answer is we were lazy, like I said. Before at KNJ, we used to have around 30 clients, around 30 employees, and a lot of complex project management infrastructure, software, communications, all kinds of just infrastructure setup. And while we were putting in all this time to designing good SOPs, making trainings, we had a four module academy with like hundreds of videos in it to explain how to do this stuff. And that means all the processes have to be written out, all the videos and training have to be made, all the curriculums for the learning and so on. And what I realized is a lot of that work we kind of created for ourselves. So with the new company, instead of having 30 clients who we have to launch a fresh campaign for, we have to get business managers approve in Facebook. We have to get credit cards approved. We have to get access to all these different platforms. We have to design creative and graphics and videos and copywriting and all of these things to launch every unique campaign. What did we do with this new one? Well, we consolidated that all into one campaign and then all 30 clients feed off the results of one campaign. Now, if you had pitched me this idea a year ago, I probably would have told you you're crazy and that's impossible and most agencies will. A lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs in particular, They take pride in their hard work and they can be insulted. You know, they can take it personally. If you say that you don't need to be doing all that, a lot of that's wasteful work. And that would have been me. But I had a great advisor, Matt Cohn, who you should go follow if you have a chance. And he helped me design this model where we have one campaign serving 30 clients instead of 30 campaigns and 30 employees serving 30 clients. This new company that we have has two team members, me and my co-founder. We don't have any full-time employees, no W-2s, no FTEs, no nothing. And we scaled it to amazing levels in just a month. I can't wait to see what unfolds in the coming months. And I will bring you along on this journey and explain how we did it. But the short answer is that we stretched our minds. We looked at how can we deliver 10x the value for the same price, and then how can we, delivering the same value, how can we reduce our costs to 10% of what they are today. The only way to get something that radical, because that's like a thousand X Delta that's formed by that comparison is through software and systems and really automating, delegating and creating. So that's what we're going to go over today. I'm going to explain to you how we do it all. But the short answer is a lot of times when you try to do the, how yourself, instead of asking who can do this for me, you are hamstringing yourself in a dramatic way. So there's two books that you should get uh, that will help you draw these conclusions on your own. One is Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. He is a a, a really prominent CEO coach. And then Secrets of a Successful Startup by Trevor Blake. I'm going to go through my quick learnings from those just to give you a little heads up before we jump into the actual content here. But with Who Not How, that's the whole The whole ethic of the book is instead of asking, how can I get this done? It's asking who can get this done for me. Now that book is mostly about delegating usually to subordinates and employees and things like that, but I'm going to, I'm going to fight that hypothesis in the sense that I don't think you need a ton of people to expand fast. As we've seen with our new company that grew to, I guess we're on track for like, what is that? 200 times on track for a $2.5 million a year in our first month. And we're still selling. It's going to keep growing. But we only have two people working on it. So it doesn't necessarily mean you need more employees or more full-timers, etc. And I'll explain all my thinking around that. But the short answer is, instead of trying to do everything yourself, figure out who is the best for the job, who is better at that job than you are, and getting them to do that. And remember the word job, because I'm going to be talking about this on a gig basis, as opposed to hiring a bunch of employees and having HR and having communication patterns and all the politics that come with having a lot of employees and so on. The second book, Secrets of a Successful Startup, is about a gentleman named Trevor Blake and his story of bringing a company to 10 million in revenue with just one employee himself. So how did he do it? So he goes through all of how he gets that done and that the one chapter on, I think it's called the hub model where you're a hub and you have a bunch of spokes instead of, you know, a bunch of employees. That particular model is only, I don't know, one chapter of the book, but that's the one that really stuck with me. And there's another learning in that in itself because you got this book that's, you know, probably 20 chapters long and only one chapter actually was stuff that I applied. The other 19 chapters were things that I already knew. Um, That book goes over a lot of the fundamentals, which is really good. I still recommend that you read the whole book. But anyway, the idea that was implanted in my mind after reading Secrets of Successful Startup was how can I make a $10 million company with two employees? And so that was my pursuit. So what's the goal here? The goal is to get leverage, right? The goal is to have the relative amount of work that you do have an outsized impact, right? So instead of one unit in, one unit out, or let's just say one client, one campaign have one unit in and 10 units out. Now this kind of thinking stretches your mind and it frustrates a lot of people because it's hard to conceptualize, but this is what people like Steve Jobs and and other luminaries do. They think at a very grand scale and when you think at that scale, you have to build systems and infrastructure that can support that kind of scale. And also from having a company that can handle a lot of scale, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have only a few customers, you might as well have thousands so that's why a lot of companies that, you know, let's just say are losing revenue, uh, wherever you leave off is basically where you pick up with a new company. If you're doing a million a year, your new company will get to a million a year pretty quickly because you have the throughput, you have the capacity, you have the leverage to handle that kind of throughput. So it doesn't make any sense not to put that kind of revenue through the company. So let's jump in. Gaining leverage. Gaining leverage. Software is obviously great for this, right? You can send out one text message and a 1,000 people can get it, right? That's the kind of outsized returns that we're looking for. Do the job once and impact a 1,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 people. So that's the thinking I want you to approach this with. And stepping out of the the day-to-day and the grit and the dirty work for a second, all the tactical stuff, it requires that you step back. And this is why I love whiteboarding. I just hung a whiteboard behind my desk over here because this allows you to draw out visually what you're thinking and it really can hone your vision. So, first things first, when it comes to who, not how, a lot of us skip this really critical step, Googling how to do it instead of brute forcing it and trying to get it done yourself for something you've never done before. And two, going on Fiverr and searching for somebody to do it. So I'm gonna explain why I like Google and why I like Fiverr, but let's start with Google. So Google is where you learn what you're up against, right? You can see YouTube videos, articles, et cetera, showing you what needs to be done. And that's how you learn how to scope out and figure out how complex something is. Whereas on Fiverr, you can go and get a very specific job done. And I don't like Upwork or other platforms like that, and I'll explain to you why as well. When it comes to Fiverr, let's just say you need facebook pixel installed that's a very specific job right they either get it done or they don't and the way that fiverr is structured is they only get paid if they get the job done so it's very clearly outcomes based and the price points are so low that even if they get it wrong it's you're just not putting that much risk on the line whereas if you have a new employee or any employee try to do something that's new to you and you send them a youtube video explaining how to do it they could spend hours trying to figure out how to do it and then another few hours doing it and then few hours of your time fixing what they did because they made a mistake because they have less context, less experience than you. So that is why I love Fiverr. So before I do any task, I always Google it in Fiverr and I say, is there somebody who can do this for five bucks or 20 bucks or 50 bucks? And the quality, I I know a lot of people ask the question like, well, how do you manage quality? When you're asking the right questions, when you go into a task knowing exactly what you want, when you've already Googled it and figure out what has to be done, then you can hone your question better. Instead of going and hiring a general media buyer, you go and search for somebody who's uh, tracking an analytics developer for social media. So all they do is that one specific little job. So instead of going in and saying, hey, can you work on my Facebook campaigns? Say, hey, can you install this pixel on that landing page and put a conversion here and have the reporting go back to there? So that understanding what you want to ask for is really important before you start asking for it. And this is where who not how comes in, because instead of you know figuring out how Googling it uh, and actually doing it, you're going to the who, somebody who's a specialist in it, and this is all they do. And they have a little, you know, a puppy mill essentially that just turns out these little jobs, but they can make big money on it too, because it only takes them five, 10 minutes because they're so expert at it. So I'm a huge fan of using people on Fiverr to get small jobs done having people running your marketing campaigns and doing your branding and stuff like that, probably a little bit more risky, but it can still be done if you're asking the right questions. So now let's talk about Upwork. Upwork is a great place for who's as well versus how's. And I love Upwork. I've used it for jobs all the time. I have no shame in that. And it's become a pretty prominent marketplace for freelance contractors. But the problem is, is when they are not paid based on outcome, they're paid hourly. So if it takes them eight hours, you're gonna pay You know, let's just say it's 20 bucks an hour. You're going to pay 160 bucks versus somebody who knows how to do it really well for that specific task. You might pay them five bucks on Fiverr and they might not get it done right. And in the case that they don't get it done right for an Upwork person, you're paying them hourly to figure it out as they go. So your costs and your time involvement can become incredibly larger in that situation. Because if my time is spent explaining how to address the problem because they don't know how, they just are a specialist who knows about it, but doesn't know that actual task then my time gets eaten up. And that's the most valuable time that we can't give up. It's okay if you spend 160 bucks having somebody solve it over the course of eight hours. But if I have to spend two hours going back and forth with them and explaining it, then I've lost the equivalent of $2,000, right? I value my time at a thousand bucks an hour right now. So if if I have to spend any time on it, it's essentially time wasted. So what do I do? I write up my request, I give it to somebody on my team and they go find a Fiverr person to do the job or I will do it. But either way, it doesn't take more than a half an hour and it's done. Another uh, expectation that's created when you uh, either hire employees or do full-time equivalent like contractors or have Upwork people working on it is that they're going to obviously want more work. So they're going to ask you for more hours or maybe they'll want to go part-time or full-time. And if that's the case, what happens is this. Let's just say you have 20 hours of work for this person. So you say, okay, I'll give you 15 hours a week just to be safe. And you can do it over one and a half weeks. And then when that job is done, they're going to still be getting your hourly wages so you got to find a new job for them again another time suck time taken away from me working on what i'm supposed to be working on and instead guiding them along so me trying to fill the void for full-time employees or full-time equivalents like contractors it's, it's very rare that you'll find somebody who will work efficiently in those 40 hours unless they're really good, which my team that I have is really good like that. I've hand selected them and we've worked really carefully to make sure they're only working on MIT's most important tasks and they're delegating everything else. But for most people who are inexperienced, they hire somebody and they kind of got to keep them busy. And that's a halftime job in itself. So that's why I'm not a fan of doing that in the early stages. Of course, once you know your company is growing and you're making money and you have to have a specialist for the job, of course you hire that. But in the early stages when you're very cash-strapped and that's the lifeblood of your business, you cannot be spending your time explaining to people how to do everything. You want somebody who knows how to do it without your involvement and ideally gets compensated for getting it done, for the outcome, not for leaning in, learning, and trying to do it. The trying aspect is a very conflicting thing in my mind because if somebody is trying to get it done, even if they're putting all their effort toward it, if they're not getting it done, you're not getting what you need and you're paying them to learn on your dollar. So it's much better if you can get things done on a, a gig or a job basis. So that's how I approach the, the who part now. So with our new company, if I need a graphic made, I'll write out the text I want in the graphic and I'll send it to a graphic designer for $20. bucks. i will have a graphic back in a day. I don't have to have a full-time designer who's working on this. Although I do at K&J, but you get the thinking. So this is how we gain leverage on our time. Ideally, here's how I see it. I used to you know, work somewhere between 10 and 12 hour days on and off for four or five years when I was starting K&J. Now, my time I'm required to be at my desk is like two to three hours a day. I really don't have to spend much time on the business. And that's really an optimal state. Of course, you know the lights have to stay on and the business has to stay healthy. But if the right people are doing the right jobs and they know what they're doing and they are you know, paid based on outcomes, then you don't have to worry about that. And that's really where you want to get to. As the visionary, remember, as a creator, as an entrepreneur, it's your job to design the vision, to design the business, to design the outcomes that you want. You're designing the future as an entrepreneur. But the problem is, when you're doing tactical work, it is taking away your attention. It's it's essentially keeping you busy. It's like a drug. It keeps you busy. Hey, I'm writing this email copy. I need to get it done so I can get this email out. When in practicality, there's somebody who could do that email better than you for cheaper and for faster than you could because maybe you're not an email marketer, maybe you're a salesperson, or maybe you're a developer. So... The, the ideal stage is to be working, t- to have your time down to a few hours a day. And the, the book Secrets of a Successful Startup will definitely teach you that. Also, the four-hour work week is a, a great example because that book is very real and practical. It's one of the first books I read, but I didn't apply the knowledge, obviously, until much, much later. But anyway, so that is where we want to get to. And you don't want to cloud your mental space with a bunch of busy work which again I know is the tendency It's our it, we're, we as entrepreneurs often are addicted to the work and that's why we can't step away from our desk and the busy work is what keeps us addicted you get little shots of endorphins for each task that you complete but it might take you a few hours to get each of those tasks done whereas if you have somebody else do it you still get the satisfaction of finishing the job but you don't have to be the one doing it unless it's stuff that you really love like let's just say you're a designer you can still do the design work that's great but from a from a more zoomed out perspective, you should be buying your time back and buying it in small increments. That way, the end goal is achieved. What is the end goal? The end goal is to get your creative space back. This is why Steve Jobs did acid in his little, you know, uh, Silicon Valley garage when he was building Apple, because he wanted his mind to take a creative walk. But you can't do that if you're jamming out emails or something like that. So you need to create that space for your mind because the mind is either doing something or it's it's creating, right? Those two live like oil and water in my opinion. You can't be uh, creatively expressive and in a design mind state when you're cramped with a bunch of deliverables and tasks that are overdue and stuff like that. So you have to buy that time back so that you have the space to think about this from a bigger picture you literally need silence you need to be away from your desk you need to be on a walk you need to be meditating you need to be drawing on the whiteboard or something like that not jamming your keyboard because that will keep you busy and take you out of the the big picture mindset you know the visionaries they they create space for that and you have to create that space and when i was just working 10 12 hour days all i was doing was doing 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 really fast and i was getting a lot done and my team was impressed with it but in practicality i was actually hamstringing myself so where i am today is now i work for a few hours to answer emails and things like that but then most of the rest of my time is spent researching new markets designing new products designing new pricing designing new offers because if i design the right offer and get it in front of the right audience i can sell 250k in a month my first month without having to do almost any work and that's where you want to get so Now let's dive into the three ways of achieving this leverage. So the three ways are delegation, automation, and creation. So with delegating, this is where the who, not how becomes really important. You want to delegate jobs that you either aren't the best at or you don't enjoy. We use a framework internally uh, called do, delegate, decide, or delete. Do if it takes less than two minutes. Delegate if it's something that can be done by somebody else. Decide when you're going to do it if you can't do it now. Let's just say it's a 20, 30-minute job. Schedule time on the calendar. Book it in and do it You know, Thursday at 2 p.m. Or if it's low priority, low urgency, then you just delete it. Eisenhower Matrix. I've covered this in a few of my podcasts. So you want to stack up your tasks. We use a capture box. So it's basically an unformatted bullet point list of all the tasks that we have going on. We'll run through that on a daily basis. Do now, delete that one, delegate that one, decide when to do the other one, and constantly refining that. So, when you're thinking with the who not how mindset, when you're figuring out how to delegate something, you're thinking who can I give this to, right? And that's where the laziness will really benefit you. If I don't want to figure out how to, you know, design and develop a WordPress site, I'm sure there's somebody who can do it. In fact, there's millions of people who can do that for faster and cheaper than I can. And unless I really love that, I shouldn't be doing it. You should be focusing on the work that you love doing and also the work that you should be doing, not just the stuff that you love because, you know, baking a cake is a lot different than running a cake baking business. So delegation is really critical, but that doesn't mean hiring a bunch of full-time employees like I talked about. If you hire a bunch of employees, one, you're going to have to keep them busy. Two, you're going to have to manage the emotional throes of regular day-to-day for people. Three, you're going to have to have HR. Four, you're going to have to deal with politics. Five, you're gonna have less time for yourself to work on the things that you need to be doing like strategy work, market development, stuff like that. So it's really not favorable to just staff up at first. It's much better to find people who can do a specific job for a specific price and get you a specific outcome. And then you're done. And you work more as the, the, the orchestrator, right? The conductor of the orchestra. You're saying, you do that and you do this and then they do the jobs they come back to you with the results and you just check box yes or no did you get the job done right and that will simplify your life dramatically so if you're in the early stages of a business or any project maybe you're starting a podcast think about who right who 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 can film this podcast who can do the audio tuning who can set up my studio etc and most of that stuff can be done digitally well with a podcast probably fewer things but you get the point I could have a fiverr guy editing my audio i could have another fiverr guy making graphics for instagram or something like that and that's exactly what you see i get about 50 pieces of content back from my content team every week so i have plenty to post and i don't do any of the work why because i delegated it i found somebody who i trust my assistant morgan who's amazing and he delegates the jobs out to these specific people they have a specific outcome they have to deliver in a specific price point for that service It's not 10 full-time employees. It's a bunch of remote one-time job people, but they get constant work from us, so they're happy. They're always going to be loyal because we're putting, you know, dinner on their table. So the second one is automation. Automation is, again, this is one of those ones that's a little hard to get your head around, especially if you're not a technical person, because it's like, okay, I know there's a way to, you know, schedule an appointment by sending an email and then having it create a task in my project management software or something like that. Or maybe the client fills out an intake form and my team gets notified and it creates a project board in our ClickUp software. That can all be automated and you know that there's software solutions for basically anything that you can think of. So of course, Google it, you know, how to to connect high level and I don't know, Gmail, something like that. There are automations for that. Now, you can either use a boxed software. There's a lot of, I mean, pretty much anything you can think of, there's a boxed software that can power most of what your company does. Why? Because there's other companies like you that have come before you, they have felt the same problem, and then somebody built a solution as a software. So looking at SaaSes and actually doing thorough research because a lot of times you'll, you'll look at one and be like, hey, maybe that would help, but I can't afford it right now and it doesn't do all the things that I need. Maybe it does five out of the 10 things that I need. Keep looking, because I'm telling you, there are softwares that handle all 10 out of 10 things, or maybe eight or nine out of those 10 things. But if you can automate eight of those things, now you're only doing two, and you can delegate those two. So that is where the automation comes in, really, really important. For our new company, we used Airtable. We built a database, kind of like a SQL database. And Airtable connects to Zapier, so that means wherever we're getting our data from, whether it's leads or marketing data or whatever, it all flows into a database. And then this database is smart and automated and it can send things out like it'll schedule appointments for us just based on who scheduled at this time, what appointment do they want, etc. And it can take into consideration like Google calendars and stuff like that. So somebody who built that software on our team, my co-founder, Adam, he didn't do any actual coding. All he did was watch some videos and figure out how to do it. And he built the whole software, I think, in like a week. So if he can do it, anybody can do it. It just took a little bit of diligence. Now, again, that's something that we could have even delegated further. We probably could have found somebody on Fiverr and said, hey, we want you to connect our calendar, our Google calendar, to our Airtable, and I want you to connect the Airtable to our CRM high level or something like that. And I guarantee you you can find somebody to do it. Probably would have saved him 10 hours worth of work. Then again, I also have a rule of thumb. For most tasks that you do, especially if you want to delegate them, it's helpful to do it yourself first if you can. That way you understand the struggles that people encounter. And one, you get more specific problems like, hey, this one integration didn't work. But two, you know how to instruct people how to do it and how to ask for what you want. So it always helps if you can do it the first time yourself. But if you can't, there's people who are good for the job. There's always Fiverr. You can get it done for five to 50 bucks. And if nothing else, just learn from it. Oh, here's where the common problem comes up. Okay, let me find somebody else for that one particular common problem that was one out of the 10 things that we needed done. So The automation. We are in in an era of software. There are plenty of solutions for this. So, think about think about software as a who, right? Just like there are humans who can do, let's just say, video editing. There are softwares that can you know send data from one platform to another. So, Google it, right? Google how to port your data from high level to email or from high level to Google Drive or whatever that is. And there are automations for that. We use Zapier for a lot of our automations that connects different softwares together and it's it's marketer friendly. anybody can do it. And the, if we were to do everything manually, like we distribute you know hundreds of leads per day to our different clients, if we were to do that manually, we could do it and honestly we could probably do it in eight hours so there's an incentive to just do it ourselves. But now that we set up the software once, it all runs on its own now. So we're saving probably 40 hours a week of, of human commitment time to that particular task. And it's that simple. Once it's set up, it, it runs, and then you're just doing maintenance. This new company has been incredibly less work. I would say I have about 20% of the work that I used to have, but the clients are still getting their end result. Why? Because I stepped back, and I designed a solution around what they want, and I took all of the human components out of it, and I just use software to do all of that. And now for the human components, I use people on my team who I trust like Morgan here to handle more creative tasks, to handle more strategizing stuff. And I, I, by nature, I'm elevating him into a more executive role, going into more of a visionary position rather than just an operator. So you're doing your team a favor when you set up this software because nobody wants to sit there and do data entry. They want to do what the big shots do. They want to close deals. They want to shake hands and kiss babies or whatever it is. So you're actually empowering your team when you do that. And you're empowering all the people who you give jobs to instead of specifically trying to do everything yourself. And then getting a lot of new gray hair, which I have a lot to show for it. All right, number three, creation. Removing the busy work that blocks creative flow. So you've probably heard about flow before. Flow is a state of being when you are properly caffeinated, focused, and you know what you're doing, and your mind, body, and spirit come into synchronicity. So your breath is coordinated, your brain activity is focused, and the distractions are reduced. Really, to reach a state of flow, in my opinion, all you have to do is remove distractions, which is the whole case for meditation, because meditation is the act of letting the distractions pass through your mind and then go on to whatever second life that they have. So in order to get into a state of creation, you have to remove the blockers. What are the blockers? The blockers are your daily tasks, emails, responding to chats and texts you know, in real time. All of that kind of fast response stuff, everything that comes in the form of a notification on the iPhone is a distraction. When I'm doing this, in particular right now, I have my phone on do not disturb. So even if somebody calls me right now, I won't even see it, I won't even know that they called. And I'm doing them a favor because I'm not giving them half of my mind when I answer the phone and I'm not present and I can't have a full proper conversation. Instead, I wait until I can and then I call them back and I sit down and and really put my energy and focus into them. And just a whole separate sidebar, if you have that state of flow and focus, people feel really good. I'm sure you've heard it said before, You feel like you're the only person in the world when you're hanging out with that person. Basically, what that translates into layman's terms is this person gives their full focus to everything that they do. They're fully present. Their energy is here with me, and they're dedicating all of their energy to me right now. They're not checking their phone. They're not distracted by this. They're not stressed out from some residual fire that's going on at work. So that getting to that state not only are you going to be giving a big blessing to the world by giving your full focus to things and this is something i'm saying autobiographically because you know a proper diagnosed add person not only is my team happier now that they're getting my full attention but i'm happier because i don't have this residual subconscious stress floating around with me all the time and the only way i achieved that was through automation and delegation i had to remove all of that doing from my daily schedule and that's how I can sit here and record for a few hours a day because all of the other tasks in the company are being worked on by somebody else, whether they're a full-timer, whether they're a part-timer, or whether they're a gig job guy or gal. So you need to delete the doing and remove the distractions in order to get to a state of creation because you can't conceptually design a super big vision business when you're stressed out it just doesn't work the mind is either in problem solving mode or in creation mode it cannot run in tandem and there are s- some slight exceptions to that rule i think you know people who get really fast on their toes and can respond with creative solutions but to get to a, a, a 50000 foot view when you're right now in a five foot view or a 50 foot view that jump does not happen easily they say that it takes 20 minutes to refocus after you change tasks so if you figure there's 20 minutes of lost time every time you switch tasks, think of how many times you switch tasks in a day. That is a lot of lost time. In fact, almost your whole day could become wasted without you even knowing it until you journal and track your time. So the goal here is to be lazy, have everybody else do the work, have the software do the work, and then get to that state of creation. So now that you have eliminated all the distraction, you're in this place of creation, I think the best way to get to that Place is to take a walk, ideally without your phone, and, and walk over 30 minutes, because after that amount of time, all of the racing thoughts will have moved through your mind. Same thing with meditation, but you know, just the act of being outside, seeing things that inspire you, like you know, your neighbor's house or your neighbor's car or the nature, the trees, the greenery, all of it's fascinating. Maybe you talk to a dog and pet it. Uh, it. Releases endorphins as well, but you can't get to that state of creative flow until you have removed all the distractions. So that's the goal, take a walk and see what happens. I recommend just give it a try, take a 40 minute walk. So you could cut out of work at four o'clock instead of five o'clock or whatever, you know, schedule that you're on and just go for a walk. And what happens with me is the longer I walk, the more brilliant ideas that come up. I'm like, what the fuck? How did I not get this before? This seems so obvious. Well, your mind can't produce that result for you. Your mind can't create that solution or that idea until you've removed the distractions so it's really critical that you create space for creativity and that's where the big breakthroughs happen in particular with this new business that we launched i had that idea when i was in a psychedelic journey i was on psilocybin mushrooms so i was you know alone for five hours i was doing yoga and journaling and coming up with ideas having all these strikes of brilliance because i was in a uh, ultimate state of presence so You obviously don't have to use, you know, exogenous drugs and things like that or plant medicine to get there, but you will inch toward it if you create space for that. If you take a walk, if you meditate, all of my best ideas come when my mind is silent. You know, they say that your best ideas come in the shower. It's the same concept. All you can do in there is let your mind run free. You're focused on what you're doing, you know, taking a shower, but you can't be at your computer. I think a lot of people would be at their computer or on their phone if they could, but you can't. So when you're in the shower, of course, you have more creative space. And that's really what we're trying to get to. And that's where you can design a company that delivers 10x value, requires 10% of the effort you were doing before, and makes you 10x the outcomes and makes you rich. So that is why the lazy guy is richer than you, because he is not bothering himself with all the dirty work, not trying to do everything himself, not trying to... You know, literally trying, trying to figure stuff out, all the effort that goes into trying to figure things out that aren't your specialty is just it's essentially wasted effort unless you really enjoy learning that things creative pursuits like playing the piano. That's probably a pretty fun learning process. But if it's, you know, setting up a pixel and you're a designer, not a developer, that is not the job for you. So when a when a lazy developer or an engineer is thinking about problems, they're doing that who else can I give this job to so I don't have to do it? What software code can I write that will, you know, if then logic it out or, uh, you know, what's a creative solution for this? Because they have more time because they have sitting around procrastinating and being lazy while their mind is producing these, uh, these new ideas that would have never come if they had just dug right into their work and started trying to build exactly what they thought they needed. So thinking about the problem from an outside perspective before you approach it, that is really where the lazy guy wins. And so now with our new company, I get to be the lazy guy, right? I can work three hours a day if I want to. The company is growing extremely fast and I really don't have to do much work. It's up and running. The software is running and it runs on its own. So now it's just about closing deals, but that can be delegated as well. And dealing with customer service, which also can be delegated. So that is how you get to the multi-millions. All right, that wraps up today's episode. I hope this has been helpful. If you did find it helpful, make sure to share it with a friend, somebody who works crazy overtime. Let them know. And again, don't take this stuff personally. Anytime, anytime you get critique and feedback, it's generally rejected. Our natural, our natural intention is to, or our natural reaction is to reject things that maybe don't fit the narrative that we've been doing. But when you can take that in stride and, and accept it honestly and openly, That's when your mind starts blossoming. So I hope I've planted some seeds that you can let grow into big tree ideas in your brain on your next walk. And I'll see you in the next episode. Cheers.